He is risen. Yes, he's risen indeed. I hope you guys were able to say that with each other in your homes right now. And I want to welcome you to this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter. It is an exciting opportunity as we are celebrating this idea of finding life. Now, you're noticing all the 8-bit work and all the fun stuff. And that's because, honestly, when we talk about finding lives, when we look at this kind of stuff, I often think of video games. You see, I'm that generation that grew up on the advent of the home video game system, right? So there was Atari, and then there was the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, and on and on and on. It kind of exploded after that. What was exciting for me as a kid was to have that opportunity to jump into those games and play those games. And I'm a pretty expressive person. So when I would play Mario Brothers, maybe it was Zelda, maybe it was Sonic the Hedgehog or something like that, I often would find myself playing with such intensity, such focus, such just energy that when I would jump, I would jump. You ever seen that happen with your kids? Move to the side, try to get it to move. And then inevitably, I would find myself falling into a pit, jumping into an enemy, something would happen, and I'd have to press pause just before it because I'd get so mad, so frustrated. At times, I'd throw that controller on the floor and just walk away going, oh, I can't believe this. It's ridiculous. Okay, maybe you're not as expressive as I am, but... You know, it would get me that frustrated because it was just not what I wanted to have happen. Now I'm an adult and yeah, you know, I've got better control of myself except that I have three boys sitting next to me going, Dad, you weren't supposed to jump on that guy. You weren't supposed to fall in that pit. You're supposed to do that. Uh, you don't think I know that? Yeah, you got that problem too? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those frustrating things, right? Really? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Of course I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the level is supposed to be like. I know what I'm supposed to do on this particular place. It just isn't working, right? I'm not as good as I used to be, or I've never played this version of a game. It's way too complicated now. I have all kinds of excuses. But you ever feel like that kind of like mimics life? And when we stop and think about it, we have all these things that we're told, this is how you should do life. This is how it should look. This is what life really is, man. And you're watching that commercial and it's out there on that wonderful island with all of those people and the waves crashing in and the boat cruising in. Or maybe it's say, you're supposed to have that awesome party and you're supposed to be like partying, bro, and everything's supposed to be amazing. Or maybe you're just out there and you're supposed to just have that high and that experience where all those girlfriends or boyfriends really have enjoyed life. Now you're really living. Oh, you got that education, that job, that prowess, you have success and everybody looks to you. All these pictures. You know, in the church, we've done the same thing. We just used a different picture in youth groups and different stuff. It was like, hey, you know, you got to get married to a virgin. You need to make sure when you get married as a virgin, you're going to be have this awesome marriage. And then you're going to have these beautiful kids. You're going to have that awesome job and a house because you went to college and you, and you followed Jesus. And then, you, you know, then you got church and these ministries. Let's be honest. All these different pictures we paint, oftentimes we come to points in our lives and we go, I know it's supposed to look like this. I know it's supposed to be like this, but it's not. That same frustration is there. And you just want to hit pause on it sometimes. You just want to say, what is going on? Why am I not finding the life that everybody's painting for me? Why am I not finding this life that everybody seems to want to tell me I'm supposed to have? And maybe some of you felt like you were getting it. Some of you guys were beginning to grab hold of it. Maybe you felt like you were having some success, some of that finance, some of that other stuff. And now this happens, right? Have an Easter digitally because COVID-19 is with us and we're all in our homes. And man, everything's being stripped away. All this stuff is being taken away. Yeah, you can't get out there and have the party. You can't go to work to have the success. In fact, you may have lost your job. You may be losing your marriage. You know, those kids you thought were supposed to be a blessing are a pain in the neck. Or kids, those parents you thought were a blessing are a pain in the neck, right? It just happens. You're stuck in a house. And sometimes the blessings don't feel like blessings and the things don't seem like it's supposed to work. And it doesn't help somebody stand along saying, you're not supposed to be like this. You're like, I know that. 
Why is it not working? What's going on with life like this, that it seems like the things that gave us life, the things that made life worth living, when they're stripped away, just it doesn't feel like I'm living as well anymore. I don't feel like I've got that life. Whatever that is out there, I don't have it. I mean, I don't feel as alive. Or, or maybe you're saying something like, I, I can't live like this. These terminology seems to mean that, hey, it's more than just biologically breathing. It's more than just a biological life. What we're looking at is something radically, radically different. There's like something muted, something holding back life. And so we've added these things on to, to, to make life more pleasurable, to make life more meaningful, to make life more life. Yeah, here's my question. If what makes you alive can be taken away, are you really living? Think about it. If what makes you alive, what makes you feel like you're really living can be taken away from you, are you really living? Are we? Am I? Because right now, with all this stuff taken away, how are you doing? Do you feel the anxiety growing? Fear? Are you more angry? You find yourself depressed? Are you just wanting to get back to work? You don't want to deal with the people around you? Maybe there's all kinds of things. Maybe that marriage is, is hurting. Maybe those kids are, you're struggling with. Maybe the mortgage is looking bigger than you ever imagined. It, there's all these things that make life harder. They kind of push us down, make us feel like life isn't happening. Life, life isn't going like it should. Almost like the entire system, the entire life is set up to where those great relationships and all that stuff can be taken away from us. And now you got to restart. Well, again, what if we're looking in the wrong place? What if we were to discover what is actually causing that life to dissipate and disappear is something that's in us, not necessarily something that's out there. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. If, you, if you've got a Bible, I want to challenge you to open up to John chapter 3. And open there at John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18. It's a very popular set of verses. I mean, many of you Christians, you already know it. You're like, all right, my favorite verse, right? They, they hold it up at, at baseball games and football games, different stuff. But we're going to start early. And I want you to set aside some things because Jesus is talking to a, a master teacher himself. You see, Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus. And as he's discussing a conversation about how to be um, entering into the kingdom of God, he winds up speaking about being reborn. Now, Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How can I climb back into my mom and be reborn and all this stuff? And Jesus is like, you're thinking on the wrong plane. I want to talk about a different plane. I want to talk about the spiritual plane. I want to talk about being born by the spirit. I want to talk about what it means to really enter into this kingdom. And so Jesus references back here, beginning in verse 14, to another story that is found in the Old Testament. It's put right here. It says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, it's interesting because Jesus starts off with his conversation of Moses lifting up the serpent, this Old Testament story. Many people aren't aware of this story, but it happens in the book of Numbers. Now, the Israelites were brought out of Egypt and they were given the promise that they were going to go into the Canaanite lands and be able to take it over as their own promised lands. 
God has come to end the pun to bring the judgment on these people who had sinned against him so much and so often. So he picked out the Israelites to give them this land. Now, as they're coming in, they had the opportunity to go and take it. And they go, we don't want this. They're scary. They're big, giant people. This is nuts. And so they run away. And God's like, I'm done with this generation. I've given them bread. I've given them my presence. I've given them the laws. I've given them everything they could possibly want. And they just, they grumble. And they, and they don't listen to me. Some of you parents know what that feels like with kids, right? Well, it's no wonder they're sitting there again after God's given them all this stuff, given them all this life, and they're griping to God. They're like, oh, why'd you take us out here? We don't want to be out here. This is ridiculous. You know, why'd you bring us out here in the middle of the desert? Nah, nah, nah. Sounds like some of the trips I've been on. But what goes on is God goes, I'm done. You know, I'm sick of you guys. Here, have some snakes. These snakes are, are venomous. And these venomous snakes start rolling through, biting people, and people are dying. And so now they're like, oh, this is bad. God's mad at us. They run to Moses. They're like, Moses, what do we do? What do we do? And Moses goes and talks to God. And God says, here's what you're going to do. We're going to see who trusts me and who, who's uh, not going to trust me. I'm going to put this, this bronze serpent on a staff. You're going to stick it in the ground. If somebody's bitten, they need to go to that snake. They need to look at it with faith, and then they'll be healed. The venom won't touch them. And so this is the picture that Jesus references back to. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's interesting because John kind of picks up after Jesus' words and begins to explain it. Talk, starts talking about how we would look at Jesus. We look at the Son of God. We will have eternal life. And then he gets into another portion here. He says, look, God didn't send the Son of the world to condemn it. We're already perishing. We're already condemned. It's like we were bitten by the venom of death. Think about it. Just as those people would have been bitten, they would have a time limit on their life. And that would have made them begin to think, I need to get to that snake. I need to get to that bronze serpent. In the same way, you and I, we're under a condemnation that Jesus didn't bring us. Our own sin did this to us. We were bitten and death is flowing through our veins. It, it's perishing. Everything around us, our relationships are crumbling. It seems like I can live biologically and have life, but it's just so muted. It's not what it should be. And we have all these pictures we can't attain to. And maybe the problem is that what's coursing through our veins is the very thing that's beginning to destroy the life that we're supposed to have. You see, we're already condemned. We're already going through a process of perishing, Jesus explains. And he says, what we need to do is we need to look upon him and we need something else. We need not just any kind of life, not some kind of life I can add on from because I have a lot of money or add on because, of, hey, I've got a great opportunity or I'm, I'm a really good looking guy or girl. No, no, you need something more, something, something greater than that. What Jesus says is that you need eternal life. Eternal life. And you're going like, ah, I've heard of eternal life. I know what they're talking about right there, man. Eternal life, that's just heaven, right? No, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. Yeah, it is heaven, but it's way more than that. Don't think it's just kind of heaven talk when we talk about eternal life. When Jesus gets into eternal life, he's talking about a certain type of life. You see, eternal life is a type of life, a kind of life that you and I can have now. It's not just out there in heaven somewhere. It's something to have right now. In fact, John would talk about and define it for us after the whole book of John is going through. As John has written this gospel and telling us about Jesus. He gets to the final prayer of Jesus' night of his last life. He's saying, God in heaven, this is, I want you to protect my disciples. I want you to care about them. I will give them eternal life. And he, then John defines it. He says, and this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? Oh, it's heaven, right? No, he says that you, that they will know you the only true God 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not heaven necessarily. It's a relationship with the true and living God. It is knowing him, talking to him, enjoying him, connecting with him. It's a relationship with the God who created you, who made you in his image. What's missing is that relationship with God is gone. And so we have to fill it in with other things, with success, with a great family, with an opportunity to do this or that, you know, because I was a good person. And yet all that can be taken away. Again, if if what makes you alive can be taken away from you, are you really living? And what we have here is that this is something given to us, that eternal life, This kind of life that keeps going is a relationship with the true and living God. Not just any God, the God who made you, the God who is there, made you in his image, who put this world together, the real creator God. And here's the beautiful thing. He says that they would know you. And this is a funny word. If you've been a Christian at any time, um, you know that this means more than just knowing about God. This isn't just, hey, I got an idea about God. No, 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 no. This isn't just knowing Jesus died for my sins stuff. This is beyond that. This is a relational knowledge. In fact, uh, if you read in the first book of the Bible, it says Adam knew Eve and begat Cain. I don't need to explain more. Children are around, right? You get what no means. It's intimacy. It's depth. There is a relational connection between us and God. You want eternal life? Have that intimate knowledge and relationship with the living God so you can know him, enjoy him, sense his presence. He hears your prayers. He talks to you, speaks to you, learn about him. And here's the beauty. This word also just isn't just static. It's not like, ah, you had that relationship, you're good. It is in a form in the Greek that means it's constantly growing. You grow in your knowledge. Um, 17 years ago, Actually, it was longer because I met my wife before we got married. There's a four-year gap between the time we actually dated to get married and when we met. And the whole time, I always thought she was hot. You know, she she was gorgeous. And everything in me was like, I'd get sweaty and freaked out when she'd come near and I'd act like an idiot and all this kind of stuff because I was infatuated. And those feelings are fun. And those feelings are neat. But when we got married... Yeah, she was still hot, still amazing. She still was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is, this is my bride. This is amazing. And now all these years later, here's the beautiful thing. The other day we're sitting there um, writing out a cardboard testimony for my wife and we're talking through things. And I'm just typing various stuff down. You could say it this way and I'd write it out there and she'd look at it and she'd laugh because it was so truly her. And, it was she, and I'm like, yeah, you should write this. Said, I'm not sharing that with anybody. I'm gonna share it with you what I just, no, I'm not gonna do that, obviously. But it was just a point. She could do it for me. I could do it for her. We've come to the point where I know her so well. It's far greater than infatuation. It's deep. It's intimate. It's knowledge. I know her heart. I know her faults. She knows mine. And we love each other. And here's the beauty. Next year, I'm going to know her even better than I knew her this year. Because that kind of loving relationship grows. And this is the same thing that you're offered with God. It is a loving relationship which never stops because God's eternal. He's infinite. You can't run out of God. And he invites you to know him, invites you to discover him, all his world, all his thinking, all his ways. And so Jesus says, you want to know what you need? You don't need all of these other things out there. You need eternal life. You need a relationship with the true and living God. When you have that, man, you'll find out that this kind of life is powerful. This kind of life is a satisfying kind of life. 
In fact, Jesus explains this when he's talking to a woman by a well. She had had several husbands, and now she was only living with the last one, which is super shameful, not to mention she's a Samaritan. So Jesus isn't supposed to be talking to her in the first place because she's all alone, and so is he. But in his conversation, he says, hey, give me a drink. And she goes like, why are you talking to me? Uh, don't you get our situation here? That's not good. And he goes, you realize who you're ta- if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink of water, and I would have given you water from that would that would never uh, that would quench your thirst. So you'd never need more water again. And she's like, "What are you talking about? Where are you going to draw draw anything from? I, I don't understand this." And then Jesus begins to explain. He says, "Look, everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well she was standing by, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life." Now the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Here's the beauty of what Jesus is saying. He's saying the gift of eternal life, this fountain of eternal life that I'm going to give you is satisfying. Like a fountain that just keeps flowing. It doesn't run out. It can't be taken from you. It's not going to be exhausted. It isn't going to go away. It's so satisfying. It is there continuously. That is way better than anything our world can give us. And what I love about this satisfaction is because it's eternal, because God is infinite, this relationship doesn't stop. And that's why it goes on into heaven, into eternity. Heaven's about knowing God. Heaven's about enjoying God and his world, just as you and I can enjoy it now, because eternal life is knowing God and it goes on and on. In fact, what's beautiful about this idea is that it even takes the things you're doing now and makes them eternal. See, this lady would get all excited, run into the town, start telling everybody that she had met the Messiah. And as she's sharing who Jesus is, the disciples have shown up to Jesus. And they're like, you want some food? You've been sitting here a long time. We went and got some food. Here's some McDonald's from Samaritan, whatever. And he's like, I don't eat that stuff. I got a food that satisfies you don't even know about. And they're like, what's going on? And then he starts kind of schooling them. He's like, you guys, I sent you in there to get food, but you should have been telling them about me. But right now there's this woman in there. She's telling them about me. And here's the truth. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. He's saying, listen, what she's doing is already gathering fruit, is already receiving wages that go to eternal life. This mundane act of her sharing Jesus, this mundane act of confessing her sins, this mundane act of connecting in community became an eternal thing. You see, when you have eternal life coming in you and you have a presence of God with you and you have a relationship with God, even the small, insignificant things become eternally weighted. They have a massive eternal effect. I want you to think about this for a minute because in this case, your work, when you return to it, if you have with God, it's going to affect what happens in eternity. Might be people you're talking to, the good you're doing to somebody, the way you care, the way you treat your children has an eternal effect. The way that you fix your marriage in this time will have an eternal weight. These aren't small, insignificant things that are gonna end. Like a video game, you fall off the end and it all goes black and you turn off the system. That's the world's idea, but God says that's not how this is. When you have me in your life, you have eternal life. And everything you do becomes eternal. Everything you do becomes an eternal significant thing. And so when we engage, suddenly, wow, God begins to make that job, to make that position, to make those children, to make that marriage, to make this time, even in this COVID-19 crisis, he makes this time eternally significant. And while everything's stripped away, you can still live fully. That's eternal life. 
That's what he offers you. It's no wonder that he tells you in the paradox that if you love your life too much, you're going to lose it. In fact, he tells them this. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And Jesus is using a hyperbole, but he's basically saying when you come to the point where you examine your life, which often happens when you're approaching death, older people do this. They step up to this point when they begin to see that their death is coming. They look back at their life and they either enter into despair because they look at their life and it wasn't that meaningful, didn't have much to share and and much to stand in, or they feel that there's a significance that occurs. You want that significant life? It is a life that doesn't just be significant for today. It's a life that's significant for eternity. And what Jesus says, when you examine your life, you're going to cling to what you got right now and all that stuff that can be taken away from you. And you're going to lose your life. Really? If what you, what makes you alive can be taken away from you, are you really living? He says, no, it's those who hate this life in this sense of like saying, it's not as valuable as eternal life, as a relationship with God. Man, then you're actually going to keep your actual life and it's going to have eternal significance. I want to introduce you to somebody who actually did face that moment of death. And it was in that that he came to that place where he realized what his life was worth. Check out RJ for me. The way I was looking to find life before Christ was I was just chasing worldly pleasures, looking for things that gave me instant gratification that really had no meaning or purpose at all. Um, They didn't last very long. Whether it was like physical, um, addiction to drugs, addiction to anything, like the gym, anything that kept my mind busy, and I was just trying to keep up with the Joneses. For a short period, I got involved in drugs and hanging out with the wrong people, and it was just a dark point in life. I uh, was in the middle of a separation with my wife, and they were getting ready to move out, and uh, I was just left feeling desperate and in a deep hole. I knew there was more, so I set out to seek it. I prayed for a sign. I literally got on my knees and cried and prayed and cried and prayed and asked God for a sign and just to help me and meet me where I'm at and do what he can to help me. So within a week after getting on my knees and praying and asking God, I was in a car accident. It was a near-death experience. I was going 65 and hit a pole and remember opening my eyes and looking down at myself and seeing myself just laying there and I just feel this thing in my body. I start seeing white and something kept telling me, it's not your time to go, it's not your time to go. So at that point, all of a sudden, I just wake up and I'm in the car and I'm just crying and I'm bloody and I'm just, I knew there was, at that point, I knew there was just more that I had to do. The accident literally stopped me in my tracks of self-destruction. And at that point, I just decided to surrender everything to Christ. And um, I know it sounds like I'm singing the song, but I literally called and I feel like he answered. That was the first time I ever had a experience of a prayer being answered. And it was, it was a real awakening at that point. Me and my wife completed a 40-day fast. And honestly, that was one of the hardest things that we have ever done. Um, I really had to look at all the darkest aspects of my life and see, look at myself in the mirror and what I was seeing wasn't pretty at that point. Um, there was a lot of stuff I had to change and that's where I really, really started looking for Christ and seeking his guidance and, um, Christ guided me through all this and showed me his ways and his grace. Um, 
I just got a whole different look on life and it was, it was, it was really fulfilling at that point. So an example on how I've seen this is since I decided to give everything and surrender my life to Christ, um, I got my family back. My business is doing better than it ever has. Uh, my family is healthy, secure in our newfound outlook on the world. And we can now restore and create in God's perfect kingdom. So just gotta have faith. See, RJ found that paradox where he realized that his life that he was living wasn't worth the life with Christ. And yet you also heard that all these things came back to him, but they come back with significance and satisfaction because he had found eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful thing is that we are told that this eternal life comes through Jesus. Look at John 3.16 again. It says, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Life. There it is. It's, it's his son. It's through his son that we have this life. Jesus is the one who gives us this life. And we go, wait, time out for a second. I know that Jesus died on the cross. You know, how can somebody who dies give life? That's a great question. Because if all you know is that Jesus died for my sins, but you don't move on in the story, we don't come to the reality that eternal life is found in another event, in the awesome event that we're celebrating this morning, namely Easter. You can put yourself in that situation as those women who are weeping the very day before because they've lost the one they were following. They've lost this amazing teacher are going to the tomb because a couple of men wrapped Jesus up and tossed him in there. And let's just be honest, in their time period, men weren't good at this stuff and the women knew it. And so Matthew, as he's accounting for the story, tells us now, after the Sabbath, toward the Dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Man, this, everything's shaking, everything's falling apart. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. This, this is an indication of divine beings. This is a spiritual being that's appeared. Man, and he's about to bring an announcement. Fear and for fear of, of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. All you guards are there. You can be freaked out all you want. Ladies, don't freak out, right? So this is kind of the, the angels looking at them says, don't be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. The guards weren't there seeking Jesus. They were to keep people away. But these women had come to seek Jesus, come to find the one that they loved, come to care for him. And the angel says, he's not here. He is risen. He's risen. Guys, that's the key. That's the point. He is risen. And he said, come and see the place where he lay. And so he goes on. Then quickly go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so he has this situation. Go tell the disciples. Get out there. Let them know. Because I've told you to do this. So they departed quickly to the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, said greetings. They came up and shook hold or took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell the brothers, my brothers, to go to Galilee and there they will see me. What he's doing here is he's saying, look, I'm alive. Touch me. Feel me. See that I'm here. I've come back from the dead. He's not a ghost. He's not some apparition. He's not some hallucination that they're finding. Jesus is alive. And right now, you may be one of those people that's like, ah, you guys really believe that? Absolutely, we believe that. 
We believe that Jesus Christ indeed rose from the dead. There's volumes of information on how we can be sure historically that this has happened. Well, I don't have time to get into all that. If you're one of those people who are curious, we've already set up an ability for you to find out here at the end some more information. There are videos out there all over the place. There are books you can buy, a 500-page book on the resurrection by a man named N.T. Wright with all the evidence and all the background. You can look at that one. You can go to a cold case cop who became a Christian and examining Christianity as a cold case detective. And in cold case Christianity, gives you all this information. There are videos. There's all kinds of information out there. I don't need to go into it, but if you want to find it, you can. If you want to see if Jesus rose from the dead, you want to be like these ladies and approach it, do it. But for all of us who are standing here, sitting here, listening today, we have the opportunity to celebrate that he indeed is risen. And what that means for us then is that eternal life, eternal life is ensured to be an enduring life. Easter ensures the endurance of eternal life. It ensures that you and I have an endurance in this life. It's not going to disappear. It's not going to go away. Let me explain what I mean. You see, when Jesus said that he is the one who can give us life, it means that we have a situation here. We have to trust him. You see, Easter ensures that we can trust Jesus. It ensures that we can believe what he said. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why would I listen to a guy who said, I can give you life, and then he dies and doesn't come back? But because Jesus rose from the dead, he shows that he's the one who beat the game. He's the one who came to the end. He won. He overcame it all. And he's coming back to say, I give you the answer. I'm giving you the real life. Death thought it took me. Death thought it beat me. You thought the venom was in me. Nope, I've beat it. It's no wonder that it says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This word belief is a big one. Because a lot of people are like, eh, that's just like faith, you know. I got faith. They just jump into a dark head. No, no, no. Belief has knowledge attached to it. And again, I challenge you to go examine that if you're wondering how I can be so sure or how Christians can be so sure. But at the same time, belief, when it comes to a person, means to trust them. For, for many years now, I've played video games with my kids. And what's funny is we'll play an old school game, one of those games I know that I can play, right? And my kids will play and they're getting all frustrated. I'm like, no, you got to jump here, hit that, and move there. And they're like, no, that doesn't work. I was like, trust me. I've played the game. I've beat the game. I know this game. Trust me, this will work. Here's the thing. At that moment, they have to believe that I understand it better than them. They have to understand that I've got that game mapped out. When God comes to us and tells us that he sent his son to die on a cross to bear our sins, to take away this death, to remove this venom, so that when we would look at him, the son of man on the cross, that we would be saved from this death, he says, I want to give you a promise. You look at him, you'll be saved. And then he looks at us and he says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And that's the question that we're left with. And that's what Jesus says. Do you trust that the Son of Man can take away all of this death, all of this decay, all this perishing so we can trust him? And if we do, if we do, You have eternal life. You'll have a relationship with God. You'll suddenly have this vibrant thing that changes everything to have eternal significance. And the muted life goes away and they can strip everything away, but they can't take your eternal life from you because he gives you life. 
Jesus gives you life. Even if you die, he's the one who comes and gives you life afterwards in the resurrection. It's a promise he gave us in John 5. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has also granted the Son also to have life in himself. Life is given to Jesus to give. And even if we die, he'll raise us from the dead. The reason we can trust this promise is he rose from the dead. If he didn't, there's no trusting Jesus. But eternal life can be endure because Jesus can be trusted. He rose from the dead. He has life to give us. Next, the next beautiful thing to see, because eternal life can endure because eternal life is a gift and you can't earn it. There's a lot of people trying to earn the kind of great life out there. The world wants you to earn it with a lot of money. The world wants you to earn it by being charismatic. The world wants you to earn it by being famous. The world wants you to earn it. Earn the life, man. You can only have the life if you earn it. Other religions tell you, you can really achieve this ultimate heaven or this ultimate state spiritually if you just earn it. You got to work hard for it. Earn it. But here, God levels the playing field. He says, no, no, no. This is a gift. This is a gift because God gave his son. God so loved the world that he gave it. It's a gift given to everyone. It levels the playing field. You can't earn it. And I don't like that. Okay? I'm a full-blooded American. Right now, my sons and I are playing a different Mario Brothers game. It came out on the Switch. It's about building the Mario Brother world and all that stuff. And the funny thing is when you're playing it, there are levels that are hard. And if you can't beat the level after so many times, Luigi shows up, who's one of the characters, and he goes, hey, I can fix it for you. And you're like, okay. And you press the button, and Luigi just kind of runs across the screen, and it's over. You pass the level. I hate that. My kids love it. They're like, hey, we passed. I'm like, we didn't pass the level. We didn't earn the level. We didn't get past this stuff. What are you talking about, Luigi? You beat the level. No. And yet, that's my American part of me. God's saying, I already beat this level. I already won the game. Come here. I have a gift for you. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try. You don't have to work it. No, I have a gift for you because guess what? You can't beat the death in you. You can't overcome it. Go ahead and try. Go out there. Be successful. Do these things. You will find that the closer you get to your success, the harder it seems it is to hold on to it because death kills everything. We're perishing. The venom's in our veins. And only Jesus on the cross can die for us so that that death is removed. And then he rose from the dead so that we could have this life. And it's because of his resurrection that we can trust him. It's because of this resurrection that we can see the gift is able to be given. We can receive this. And this means it's for everybody. You see, the world's visions and the other religions' visions is only for the hardworking, only for the rich, only for the powerful. This is for everyone. Everyone on the same playing field. Everyone receives the same thing. And so we realize this. And unlike the world's ideas, this life can't be taken from you. Eternal life cannot be taken from us. It can't be removed because Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, what Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified was this, because I live, you also will live. Our life is connected to his life. If you've trusted that Jesus Christ died and took that sin, took that punishment, took that death on the cross, and you've looked to him, trusting him, then because he lives, you live. Because he lives, I live. We live because he lives and he's never going to die again. So eternal life is going to endure. You can lock us in homes. 
You can take away our freedoms. You can take away our jobs. You can put us in prison cells, but you cannot take away a relationship with God. You cannot take away the fact that Jesus Christ bore our sins and has given us that opportunity to know him and that we will live because he lived. Yes, even kill the Christians. We're coming back because Jesus is alive and we are alive with him. That's the exciting thing. Our life endures. It's eternal. It can't be taken away. It can't be crunched down by a coronavirus. It can't be taken away by a depression, recession, you name it, because Jesus Christ has come into your life. And even in the mundane things, they become eternally significant. Even when you're locked away, it's eternally significant. The way that you handle those things being taken away become eternally significant. Everything becomes eternally significant because you're connected to the God who is alive, giving you life. That's eternal life. A relationship that is flowing over you, through you, satisfying you, cannot be taken away for one more reason, because it's locked in history. Guys, back here in time, Jesus rose from the dead. He died for our sins. It is permanent, unmovable, done in the past. You say, but I'm, but I'm a Christian. I've sinned. Doesn't that mean I've lost it and I can't go back? No, no, time out. Jesus knew you would sin. When he died on the cross, he died for your past sins. He's died for your present sins. And he's died for all your future sins. He's given you a provision that's full and it's free to you. It's a gift and it's final. You can't earn it. It's a gift. It's done. Well, then I can just go sin all I want. No, no, no. Remember, you have eternal life, a relationship with God. Try it out sometime. Sin and then go try to be with God. It's not comfortable. It doesn't work because it's contrary to the very life you've been given. And yes, we will sin. Yes, we will break. Yes, things will happen, but we will have this life welling up in us, cleansing us, transforming us. Not even our sin can separate us. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Once you've trusted that Jesus Christ has borne that death upon himself, once that has been done and you have eternal life, you have a relationship with God, now press into it. Know him in prayer. Know him through the word. Get to know him in daily life. Watch how he transforms everything so that your heart is tuned to him. And now everything else that comes in is a part of that eternal living. See, this is the beauty of what you and I have. An eternal life bound in a resurrection that can never be taken away, never removed, never, ever, ever could be squashed. Nothing can separate us. But here's the thing. Do you trust him? You see, Jesus is, has come to us in his resurrection, in his power, through this message. And he tells you, listen, I promise you, look to me on the cross. I will take all that perishing, all that brokenness, all that stuff. I will take it away because it's in you like a venom. And what I will give to you, if you will trust me, is eternal life. A relationship with the living God will take all the things in your life and make them eternally significant. Do you trust me? And now it's in your camp. Do you trust the promise that God has given you? Do you trust the one who has risen from the dead for you, who bore your sins for you? Because that's what it comes down to. And I want to give you a chance to actually say, yes, yes, I'm going to trust God. Because you can't, you can't take that away once you have it. If what makes you alive can be taken away, are you really living? I don't think so. But I think when you've received what can never be taken away, you've found eternal life. And that's in Jesus Christ.
So do you trust him? I want to give you a chance to do so right now and just let him know. God, I trust you. You want to just bow your heads and say, God, I trust you that you give me the promise that Jesus Christ has taken this venom of death on the cross. I look to you and I trust you that you're giving me eternal life. I want to know you now. Come into my life. Lead me through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to let someone know that you made that decision. But really, the way we're going to do this is everybody's going to talk about where you stand. Because really, we do a, a survey every Easter, and we're going to do it today. We're going to do it through text messaging. So everybody who's, who's watching this, whether you're watching it weeks later or whether you're watching it right now on Easter, we want you to let us know where you're at. Wherever you're living, whatever's going on, we want to know. Are you already a believer? Have you already trusted the promise that God has given us in Jesus Christ? Just let us know. We would love to hear from you. And you say, yes, I'm already there. We want to praise God, pray over you, even give you opportunities to continue to grow in that spiritual relationship. Maybe you're just beginning. You need to select begin. And you're like, hey, I'm just starting this off. I just gave my life to Christ right now. What do I do? Here's what you do. You text to us the word begin at 951-382-5111. If you're already there, it's text already. If you're just beginning, you just gave your life to Christ, text that word BEGIN, 951-382-5111. Maybe you're just curious. You've got some intelligent, good questions, and they should be answered before you make this decision. And we want to help you answer those questions. In fact, we invite you to let us know that you're curious. We have some resources and things we'd love to give over to you. And you just text to us the word CURIOUS at 951-382-5111. And maybe you're just watching this today and you're like, I don't want any of this. We would love to know you don't want it. It just helps us so that we know that you're watching and that we're just appreciative that you would even take the time. Just let us know and uh, we won't bug you more. But just let us know. I don't want it. 951-382-5111. These are the texts. We would love to hear from you because we want to help you. We want to connect with you. We want to bless you with how to continue to grow or answer questions if you got them. Otherwise, God bless you guys this Easter. I pray you have some time together to praise, to pray, and to enjoy the fact that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ.